The Insurance Coffee House is hosted by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies, brokers, and insurtechs in the UK and across the United States, attracting and retaining the most successful leaders to your insurance business. To find out more, visit insurance-search.com. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and be inspired by the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Serena Arnold. Serena is the Chief Marketing Officer at Rethought Insurance. I'm a flood-based insurtech, and Serena joins me on the line from New Hampshire today. Welcome to the show, Serena. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Serena, it's a pleasure to have you on. Really looking forward to hearing from you today, particularly looking forward to hearing some of those stories we've been discussing from your previous career and your background. Before we get on to that, though, as we are in the insurance coffee house today, what's your go-to coffee of choice this morning? You're going to get me kicked out of the show before we even begin because I'm not a coffee drinker, but I do love chai. So I have a, a chai latte and I've got a very large mug of it and I'm very happy about it. Chai latte is enough to get you going for a day. So you're very fortunate on that front. So Serena, looking forward to hearing more about Rethought. Before we get on to that though, would you mind sharing our listeners a little bit more about your background, your personal career? And I know you've had a very interesting career before you have moved into the insurance world. No, I definitely didn't take the traditional path whatsoever. So in fact, I was born outside of the US on a Caribbean island. And when I moved to the United States into Denver, Colorado was where we set foot. I saw my very first thunderstorm. There was hail and lightning and wind and a funnel cloud formed and a tornado formed. As a five-year-old, I remember standing in the doorway with my mother going, wow, that is something. And it's like a switch flipped in my brain and I knew I would forever be connected to meteorology. I went off to school at the University of Oklahoma after growing up in Northern Virginia for the most part. There I pursued you know, my degree in meteorology and severe weather. I was a storm chaser for three years and just absolutely mm. loved immersing myself in the craziest weather that I could find. And I ended up moving back up to Colorado, which was you know, where my love of weather began and graduated with my degree in meteorology and mathematics. While I was in college, I got to you know do more storm chasing. I went to hurricanes. I worked with the History Channel. I worked with the National Severe Storms Laboratory. And my first job out of college was with a NASA contractor where I got to test a sensor that was mounted on aircraft to collect weather data as it flew through the air, especially on takeoffs yeah. and landings. With that, I got to do things like also icing and turbulence test flights and seeing how the sensor performed doing that. So on purpose, flying an airplane and do as much icing and turbulence as possible. I went to work for an air quality monitoring company, which sounds fairly boring. But when I sat down for the interview, the guy said, we're going to send you to Alaska and get you on a tiny plane and into a helicopter where you're going to sit out in the tundra for three days and you're going to go back to your office and QC it. Sometimes you'll have a bear guard or sometimes you'll be armed or sometimes you're kind of on your own. How's that sound to you? And I couldn't sign the paperwork fast <laughs> enough. So I got to do that for about six years where I was just stalling and, and calibrating and repairing these weather stations that were in some of the mm. most harsh Arctic locations. And up there, I was responsible for all of the different weather stations we had on the summit. Mm. So that was a lot of fun. And then uh, my next move was on to TV meteorology. So I really loved communicating the science and translating that to people and had an opportunity to be a, a TV meteorologist and did that for a little while and found a lot of fun in that. Okay. And then it was time to settle down where my insurance experience began. So there was an insure tech started as weather analytics and is currently known as Athenium Analytics. 
that was looking for someone to help translate the weather in an easy to understand way to insurance, because clearly there's a lot there to know. And insurance isn't necessarily an expert in the fields of meteorology. And so I had a talent and a skill for being able to translate that in an easy to understand way. And so I worked with them for many, many years and had a lot of fun doing that and working with weather products and extending beyond that. Then came Rethought. So one of the co-founders, Nick Lamparelli, reached out and we communicated and he thought I'd be able to help his organization. And it seemed that I would. And so I joined them. And so Rethought is a flood insurance company located here in the United States. And I've held many roles with them. I've done operations. I've done sales. I've done marketing. I've been all over the map as you kind of have with a startup type of organization. So enjoying the uh, lower life yeah. in some ways, office life, the the calmer aspect of a career. So interesting. Thank you for sharing with us. The interesting thing is that a lot of people join the insurtechs, the insurance industry, and it's a very much a faster pace. So now in your current role there at Rethought Insurance, what are you responsible there? And what are you looking to achieve as a business? What's the solution that you're looking to solve? Yeah, great question. In the United States, and I think in other locations around the world as well, there is a massive protection gap with regard mm. to flood. In this country, about 75% of the population believes that they have flood insurance, that their current insurance will cover them in case of a flood. And the truth of the matter is it's somewhere around 5%. That gap, that difference is the protection gap, and we're trying to close that. And there's areas where it's even worse. We've seen in California with the atmospheric rivers they've been having and the massive amount of flooding and precipitation they've received there for the third year in a row, thanks to this wonderful La Nina pattern that's forming. They've been getting a tremendous amount. And I think we read that about 2% of the population there has flood insurance, 2%. Wow. And it's just utterly devastating. And so we really are completely and wholeheartedly focused on closing that protection gap. Mm -hmm. So as the chief marketing officer, it's my responsibility to try to provide as much information as we can to the agents mm -hmm. and brokers and wholesalers that we work with. We're not direct to consumer. Yeah. We are trying to empower them and educate them and show them that this is so critical that this is a huge problem and they really are the key to helping us fix this. Yeah. So we're trying to educate them through different marketing materials, through an online TV series on YouTube. We have ReTV any way that we can trying to get them to understand the true risk of flood, trying to get them to understand the protection gap and why it's a problem. I mean, everything we do focuses on that. And in terms of that, as a challenge, you know, because you're not working directly with those customers you know you speak incredibly passionately about what you're doing clearly with your background expertise and knowledge you know people are going to listen to you but how do you get that across to those brokers those agents who are then dealing and working with their customers who you know might be saying look i live in california i don't recognize the need for flood insurance that's a really great question and so we're trying to highlight how flood is happening continuously how since 1996 99% of the counties in the United States have seen flood in them. So it's not kind of a, an if question, but more of a when question. We're trying to help people understand that 40% of the floods that happen this, in this country don't happen in a flood zone. These are substantial things. So we kind of have a top three list that we're pushing really hard with the people that we speak to about why they need to offer flood on everything. The first is that protection gap that we highlighted, that there is just a massive gap there. Some people think, hey, it's just not worth it. There's just tremendous opportunity there. So we're trying to tell the brokers, hey, listen, this gap is huge. A lot of people think they have coverage. They don't, which leads to really important point number two. And that is we're trying to let brokers know that if they don't offer flood or have them sign something saying they've said we don't have flood, They've got to do one of those two things to avoid an E&O problem. 
that a lot of people think they have this and don't. And when push comes to shove, that's going to fall back on them and, and be their responsibility. So we're telling them, you know, you have to offer flood on everything just to kind of protect yourself and protect your business because mm -hmm. people are under the wrong perception of what they're actually being covered for. And the third thing is, is we think they're actually leaving money on the table by doing so that we have on our nightly news at least twice a week here in this country, some devastating flood that happened somewhere. This isn't coastal locations always. We're talking West Virginia. We're talking Missouri. We're talking Kentucky. We're talking landlocked states in this country where these types of things are happening. Las Vegas in the middle of the desert. It can happen anywhere. And so people are hearing about this. And I think it's at the mm -hmm. forefront of people's minds and they're starting to ask, but they need to have yeah. someone that can guide them through the process. They need someone who's going to hold their hand and say, here's the coverage that you need. Here's why you need it. And help them understand their true risk of flood. So those are kind of the, the top three things that we're really focused on from a marketing perspective is yeah. helping people understand that protection gap, understand that it's it's an E&O if they don't. Also, I think that there's just tremendous opportunity and the yeah. public's ready for it. Thank you for that. And in terms of resources of business and that protection that you're offering, is that a standalone policy available to customers, obviously through your broker channels and would you mind just go give me a snapshot of the business, the areas that you're operating there in the US, where your teams are based around the country? Sure. So our, our teams are based all over. We're actually a remote organization and we're founded as such five years ago. Actually come up on six years now, which is nice because when COVID hit and all of that, it, it didn't actually change the way we operated, which was lovely. <laughs> but yeah, we have kind of three different programs that we offer. Yeah. So we do commercial, we do residential, and then we kind of do the odds and ends and, and the specialty sort of things. We do have a residential program, and we do have a program here in this country, the National Flood Insurance Program, which is a federally backed insurance program that came about after insurers really started pulling away and the government had to step in and fix it. But it's not a great system. They use very outdated FEMA flood maps that don't provide accurate information. A lot of the information has changed since they were generated. They don't offer very high limits. You know, a lot of them, people can't get enough coverage. So, when you work with private sector organization, Rethought, and are getting flood from us with residential, we obviously have a much broader appetite. We have much higher limits. We're providing better coverages and, and better type of coverages. With regard to commercial, same thing. It's just what we can offer is far above and beyond what you can get from the National Flood Insurance Program at the moment. And we really take on some interesting and unique risks too. So we take on a lot, you know, some of the standard commercial stuff, but we do have a, a special market for sort of those rare and special items, train stations, museums on piers, or you know, weird stuff like that. There's really a lot of different opportunity that we have and much more broader appetite and different coverages than you would find from a lot of the other available options out there. So you know, I know as well as your passion for meteorology and you've got an incredible passion for people and culture and building businesses. Could you share a little bit more with our listeners around that about how you're involved in building a business, very much a modern day method. You mentioned earlier about being a remote business. Is that something that you can share with us a little bit more about how you see building people in culture from a modern business perspective? You know, my track has taken me through a lot of very small organizations, startups, a nonprofit. It's an area that I've really grown to love. Seeing a business grow is very fulfilling. It's almost like watching a child grow, you know, and, and you get excited when they take their first steps and they reach these little milestones. And the same thing happens in business. And so I have developed a secondary sort of love and passion <laughs> for people and for work culture. 
And culture isn't like swings hanging in your office somewhere or something weird like that. Culture is how an organization communicates, how they communicate internally and externally. What are their values, things that really mean the most to them? I find that a lot of times people will elect who they do business with, not based upon what they do, but why they do it. I think that that's really important. Your people are your greatest resource. If you treat people right and you kind of treat them like family, and some people may roll their eyes over that, if you treat people like family, they will just go above and beyond for you. And they will get excited about what you're doing and they understand why you're doing it. They're going to rally behind your cause. A lot of people in our organization, I venture to say almost anybody, can state our vision and mission at any time and know exactly what that is. They know we're here to close that flood protection gap. There's no question about it. We think about it every day. We start our, every one of our town hall meetings, you know, which we do on a monthly basis with it's almost like the Pledge of Allegiance. But we know it and we stand behind that. And you have to realize that the enthusiasm of your customers and the people that you're working with out in the market are never going to exceed that of the people within your organization. So you better have people that are really excited to be there and love what they're doing. And so in order to do that, that requires building a really great culture. That requires setting of expectations, requires integrity. It requires a lot of really important things that make people want to be where they are. I know insurance is a super fast-paced, cutting-edge industry, but there's a lot happening out there in the world, and the way we work is changing. I think there's a lot of organizations out there, especially some large insurance companies, that would have never been able to think that they could have had a remote workforce, and everyone was forced to come March of 2020. It's amazing how you sort of made that work, and everything was sort of okay. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more like that as we have the insurance people who are most you know, knowledgeable in insurance and have been made an entire career out of it, as they start retiring, we need to backfill those roles if we're going to keep these organizations going. You're going to have to do things a little bit differently in order to attract the talent of today. It's a phenomenal group. I mean, there's tremendous opportunity. They want to work. They want to work hard. And more so than any generation before, the younger generations want to stand behind a cause that they believe in. They want to be treated well. So Employees have to look at remote work options or at least hybrid options where you get to do a little of both. Organizations have to start looking at flexible PTO, you know, flexible time off, unlimited time off maybe, right? Where you're not logging that at all, which actually sounds really scary. Sounds like it'd be very, very risky. But especially for a young organization like a startup, you also don't want people accruing weeks and weeks or months of time off that they never use. And then all of a sudden cashing out when they leave and depleting your organization's bank account. If you look at it right, there's actually a lot of pros for the business as well, not just the personnel. You do have to do a lot of things differently to attract and maintain the younger talent to keep these organizations going and thriving. For business like Rethought, I think... Like you say there, you've got very clear vision and you've got very clear mission as an organisation. I think that's very attractive to people, certainly of this generation and in this time of having that mission. That can in itself help to attract A player key talent to the organisation. But then, you know, bringing in those A players then helps them to build that culture, that successful winning mindset, collaborative culture that you're talking about. So, you know, one does often help the other for sure. Are there any sort of specific initiatives that you have as a business that has helped, first of all, attract those A players and then anything then internally that you found has been really beneficial in then retaining that talent? We work really heavily off of referrals. So the people that we have in our organization are all bought into who we are and what we do. They know our work ethic. They know how we handle things. 
if they come along with, to somebody and say, hey, a friend of mine or this person I met would be a really great fit, we listen. We bring in a lot of people to our organization purely based on referral basis because you've almost done a little bit of a vetting check at that point. So you have someone who's willing to speak for them that understand this is who we are and how we do things and they're going to fit into that mold, which is really nice. But once you get them in, the biggest things are communication and setting of expectations. What's the best way to do that? One of the things that we're actually just implementing company-wide, we've had specific teams for a couple of years now, is we do KRAs. We do key result areas. So when they come on board, everyone has that fancy job description they applied for. It's 18 paragraphs long. It reads technical and it makes your eyes glaze over. We do KRAs that are in plain English, simple language. What are the top three or four bullets? Very simple things that mean success in your job. We define those very early on and we use those to actually help drive reviews. And yeah. so we can sit down on a quarterly basis with, with any employee. They look at that KRA. We look at that KRA and before either of us sit down at that desk, we know what's going to happen. Are they doing a good job? Or are they doing a bad job? It's something the employee can check in with at any point and they know. And it has been so freeing with regard to setting of expectations because a lot of times we really focus on that. We try to onboard people, really help them understand the organization, set the expectations and really prioritize communication. We have Slack that we use because we are a fully remote organization. You can't just pop into somebody's office and, hey, have a chat. But with Slack, we're able to do that and have those communications. And we're very transparent. I'll post, hey, I got to go pick my kid up from school, <laughs> you know, or the kid's got a <laughs> dentist appointment. I'm going to be out for an hour. It doesn't all fall down when that happens. And we're not expecting people to like clock in, clock out at certain times. They have their roles and responsibilities. They have their jobs they're going to do. And we try to be very flexible with that. Once you track the right talent, it really is just getting the right types of communication and expectations set up to let them run because you want to let them do what they're there to do, what you hired them for, and want to be as hands-off on that as much as possible. Setting those expectations, those measurable goals so everybody knows where they're standing, everybody can tell whether they're doing a good job, whether they're exceeding expectations or whether there's areas for improvement or areas to focus on. You can bring in the best quality talent, but if they're then not utilized in the right way or they're not quite in the right seat for their particular skill set and expertise, then it's going to be a challenge. What will the outcomes be there? I know you're sort of you're building certainly a very high-performing team there. Do you notice any specific outcomes at all, or is it just across the business, there's a lot of a performance which is leading to the growth of the company? We've got really great growth. And I think that was really tested this past year. 2022, Mother Nature was angry. I don't know how to put it other than that. She really tested the market. And we're not the only ones out there doing flood insurance. There's a lot of different organizations out there that are doing it. But we really believe we're doing it uniquely and in a way that nobody else is. You know, we're flood zone agnostic, for example. It doesn't matter what your flood zone is. We're looking at other information. And that's how we're rating and pricing the policies. And we're trying to always get the right price. And because of that, when you look at Hurricane Ian, it hit Florida this summer and was utterly devastating. And everyone's seen and heard the fallout that has happened since then. Reinsurance is adjusting where they're putting their money. Insurance companies are like citizens that's based in Florida is saying every policy we issue now, you've got to go out and find your own flood insurance to go along with it. There have been massive amounts of insurance companies that have stopped their programs, stopped writing specific parts of flood programs. I mean, the fallout has been huge. And we're very fortunate to say that our premium's growing. We were not impacted really by those types of events that here we are still standing. And, you know, that makes our reinsurers obviously very happy too. And it's just because we're doing things differently. So not only do we have 
the right people and we're setting the right expectations and we're finding the best of the best that we can out there and we're all rallied behind the same cause. But the way we're actually fundamentally doing this is really different and is really unique. And if anything showed how efficient we are and showed the benefits of all of these choices that we've made, it was 2022 and specifically it was Hurricane Ian. So it brings us nicely on to the espresso round now where the questions are short, sharp and straight <laughs> to the point. So I know you've got your chai there, but are you, do. Are you ready for the espresso round? Yeah, I'm excited. The espresso round. Serena, what piece of advice would you give to senior executives or insurance executives who are coming in to interview at Rethought? The first thing I would say is be your true self, obviously. So you can't go into any interview anywhere pretending to be something that you're not. That wouldn't work very well. You know, a very fast-growing insurtech business. What, what would your advice be for someone coming in from that traditional background? We really do do things a lot differently, and we're trying to shake up the way insurance does things. So it would be non-traditional. It would be very different. We are faster paced. We like to move quickly on things. We yeah. are very excited about what we do. Flood is just such a unique peril in, in itself. Mm -hmm. So it requires a unique skill set for sure. So it's something they're interested in. Boy, it would just be like, buckle up. <laughs> Across your career, I'm sure you sat in many, many interviews. Can you recall... One thing in particular, maybe the funniest answer that you've ever heard or the worst thing that you've ever seen in an interview, anything come to mind in that respect? I was in an interview one time and someone was like, asked me, they said, you know, what's the best joke? Tell us a joke you've heard recently. Hmm. It was a weird thing for sure. That's probably one of the weirdest ones. Which really baffles the interviewee really as to why they're even asking that question. I don't think it's ever a good thing. In interviews to try to figure out who somebody truly is. I think one of the best ways to interview somebody, and it's really hard to do with remote organizations and COVID and what have you, is take someone out to dinner. Then you're going to find out who somebody really is. You'll learn so much more in an interview by doing that. The other thing that I've learned is a really good trick is ask people what someone else would say about them. What mm -hmm. would your spouse mm -hmm. say is your biggest weakness? What would your so-and-so? You do that, and you're going to get a much truthful answer than you would otherwise. So those are two yeah, things definitely. that I, I think are really handy. Our interviewees about what their former boss would say about, you know, what would they say is your strength and weaknesses. And actually, yeah, like you say, so much more honest appraisal and people are more open because they either don't want to do themselves a disservice or to over brag about things. Is there any technology at all that you use there at Rethought to help with your hiring, with your talent acquisition processes there at all? So our, our CEO, Corey Isaacson, right now is one of the most tech savvy people I've ever met and ever worked with. So the answer to that should be a lot more than probably what I'm going to say. We really rely on that word of mouth, obviously, yeah. and we're trying to track that hiring process as best we can. So, you know, internally, we're always using Slack to communicate. We use ClickUp like a checklist. We use that actually throughout many different parts of the organization to help create to-do lists and calendars and agendas and help people understand timelines. Serena, last question of the espresso round now. What's one lesson your job has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life, whether that's in your role now or when you were chasing twisters? The one that comes to mind more than anything is something that I was told very young. And that is, if you love what you do, you're never going to spend a day at work. So I think that one really resonates with me. Yeah. You have to love what you do. You know, when I'm a part of an organization, I give it my all. I absolutely love it. And I want to make sure that I really like what I'm doing. 
I know that that's not always possible. And even when you love what you do, there's still those days, right? It's still work. But generally speaking, I think it's really important to love what you do. And you may have to dig and find that. You may have to really try to dig deep and understand what is it that you're doing for people? How is Mm -hmm. it that you are helping? You may be behind the scenes in insurance, feel like you don't have any role, but you have to really think about what impact are you having? What is it that you're doing to help people? If you can find that cause and that purpose, and a good organization will have that outline for you when you get there. But if not, find it yourself and let that drive you. And as long as you do that, I think it's going to always help you to make the right decisions. It's going to help you to be happy at work. It's going to help you wake up on those days that you don't want to. It's going to help you understand when a chapter's needs to end and when the time has run out. And that is okay. There's ebbs and flows to the seasons of our work careers. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's not the culture it was of of our parents and of our grandparents, where you mm-hmm. start an organization, you start at the bottom, you work your way to the top, and 35 years later, you're given a gold watch and you're done. It's not how it happens anymore. So you actually have the ability to find your passion and follow that a little bit more than previous generations have had. So do it. Find that you're not in love with what you're doing. Ask yourself what would fulfill you and what would make you want to get out of bed in the morning and go chase that. We're only given one go at this life. We're only given one opportunity here. So you better make the best of it. And you got to do it for yourself because nobody's going to do it for you. Thank you, Serena. That's great advice for us to to finish it on today. If there is anybody out there who, you know, he's considering that next move now or heard you talk very passionately about what you're doing there at Rethought, how do they go about reaching out to you and what sort of opportunities do you have at the moment? We're always kind of looking, especially as our premium continues to grow. I know we're actively looking for sales roles, account management roles. So if anyone is interested in those, they can always send us an email. The best way to get a hold of us is a really simple email address. It's flood at rethoughtinsurance.com. So R-E-T-H-O-U-G-H-T, rethoughtinsurance.com. Sending that email to flood at rethoughtinsurance.com goes right to me, basically. (laughs) That's the secret. (laughs) It goes to me. And it's really the best way. So if you have questions about opportunities that we have, if you have questions about flood, if you, you know, anything you've heard here today you want to follow up on, go ahead and send us an email. Really, don't be a stranger. Don't be shy. We really love what we do and we love sharing that with other people. So definitely reach out. That certainly shines through for sure. Thank you so much, Serena. It's been a real pleasure to have you in the Insurance Coffee House today. It's been great to learn about Rethought, what you're doing there in terms of building culture and everything that you're doing there to attract talent. Thank you also for sharing with us about your background. It's a really, really interesting career that you've had. Yeah, really interested to see how this takes you. So it'd be great to catch back up with you in the next year or two and see how things are progressing there. Yeah, absolutely. For everyone listening, always remember there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad gear. Thank you, Serena. It's been a real pleasure to have you today. I hope you've enjoyed being on the show. Oh, I have so much. Thank you so very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time for another episode packed with insights and advice for senior leaders, C-suite executives, and ambitious insurance professionals. Stream all episodes at insurance-search.com.